Welcome to the Ortho Eval Pal Podcast, where we can help you build confidence with your orthopedic evaluation and management skills. We hope you enjoy the show. And now, for your host, Paul Marquis. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 127 of the Ortho Eval Pal Podcast. I am your host, Paul Marquis. Today, we're going to be talking about the tibialis posterior muscle, and a lot of people like to call it the posterior tibialis muscle. That's fine. Uh, you'll probably hear me intermixing it several times as we uh, do this show today. Um, the tibialis posterior can be quite a troublemaker, so we're going to break this down. We're going to talk about all the different uh, problems it can cause us. We're going to go through the anatomy, talk about its role in stabilizing the foot and ankle, how it propels the foot and ankle, and how it uh, you know stabilizes us. We'll talk about some other contributions like shin splints and uh, you know a whole lot more, but before we get started today, I'd like to just take a moment to hear a word from our sponsors. A good night's sleep is what everybody needs. Fresh rest bedding will keep you comfortable all night. Our advanced textiles and weave wicks moisture and also regulates body temperature. This design, coupled with our all-natural organic antimicrobial, eliminates 99.9% of odor-causing bacteria, as well as dust mites, which are an allergen to many. Because our bedding stays fresh longer, it is eco-friendly, as it only requires washing once a month on average. This bedding is also known for its incredible softness. Our antimicrobial is all-natural and organic. No metals, waxes, chemicals, or nanos. Our sheets will never leach onto or into your skin ever. These sheets are safe for your entire family. Fresh Rest is designed and engineered by Main Lee Technology Group, based in Wells, Maine, and our sheets are made for the USA. Fresh Rest Bedding is only available for purchase through our e-commerce website by visiting freshrestbedding.com. Once again, that's freshrestbedding.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. First of all, the thing I want to start with today is to just apologize to you for having uh, told you that we were going to be having an interview with Dr. Hoffman and talking about ACLs this week. That uh, has been all changed because of this whole coronavirus issue and a change in the schedule. So um, have no fear. We have it scheduled. It will be coming within the next month. Uh, you will hear that. It's going to be a great episode. Dr. Hoffman's a great guy. He'll give us a lot of information about ACLs, the structure of the ACL and how it functions. But today, I thought we would talk a little bit about the tibialis posterior muscle because, you know, it's that time of year where, you know, the snow is melting and, uh, you know, we're, the weather is getting better, better and we want to start walking more and running more and people end up with a lot of foot and ankle problems like, like posterior tibialis uh, tendonitis, um, tendinopathy, plantar fasciitis, metatarsalgia and things of that sort. So I thought we would just take this one muscle, tear it apart and go over it. So let's start a little bit with the anatomy. The tibialis posterior muscle is, is located in the deep part and compartment of the leg. It originates at the proximal posterolateral aspect of the tibia and the posterior medial aspect of the fibula and interosseous membrane. So that membrane that connects the tibia and, and fibula um, separate the anterior and posterior aspect of the leg, but also has some fibrous attachment there. And um, that, that is part of that origination of the tibialis posterior muscle. Now, it has two insertions. It inserts it in the, the navicular and medial cuneiform more proximally and more distally. It splits and attaches to the lateral cuneiform bones, the plantar surface of the metatarsals, two through four, and the cuboid bone. Um, and so 
This is quite challenging because when you look up the insertion of the tibialis posterior muscle, I kid you not, you should try this. Look at three different sources and you will get different answers for all of them. The most important thing here is to understand what the action is, okay? So the action is that it plantar flexes and inverts the foot and ankle uh, pretty much at the same time. So it supports the medial arch, but also helps to plantar flex that foot when propelling yourself forward. Now, when the muscle turns into the tendon, that tendon passes down posterior to the medial malleolus. So you just have to envision this again. We've talked about this in, po in past episodes where you just have to kind of, you know, walk this through with me in your mind and, uh, and envision where this, this area is. And then when you get a chance to go to your clinic and practice it on maybe a coworker or somebody like that, um, you know, follow through with this and you can always listen to this episode again so that you can get a feel for this but that tendon passes posterior to the medial malleolus it goes through the tarsal tunnel it's held into place by the flexor retinaculum now you need to remember one thing the medial ankle gets quite congested okay so one of the ways you can remember what you have in that that area okay in that tunnel uh, where the tibialis posterior passes is is this okay so you can use tom dick and harry so t d a n h all right so the tibialis posterior and this is going superior to inferior so the tibialis posterior tendon so dick would be the flexor digitorum longus a in the end is the posterior tibialis artery the n in the end is the tibial nerve and hairy is for the flexor hallucis longus. So if you remember all of these uh, in that order, that's pretty much how they sit in that medial part of the ankle. Well, what holds all those structures in place? Well, there's this very large flexor retinaculum that holds it all in place. And you need to know about this flexor retinaculum in just a little bit when we talk about dislocations and subluxations. You need to remember that there are seven muscles that plantar flex the foot and ankle. So just testing resisted plantar flexion alone is not good enough to be able to tease out the tibialis posterior muscle. You need to add inversion at the same time. So plantar flexion and inversion and you offer some resistance. Okay. The, um, you know, you could also have tenderness, especially if you have a tendonitis or tendinopathy, there could be tenderness just posterior to the medial malleolus. There could be tenderness all the way down to the navicular. I see this quite often from the medial malleolus to the navicular can be very, very tender with people. And a lot of folks have tenderness to the plantar surface of the foot. So remember where this inserts. And a lot of people mistaken this for plantar fasciitis. They think they're in the plantar fascia, but they're really at the insertion of the posterior tibialis uh, muscle area. So some of the most common problems associated with with the tibialis posterior are tendonitis and tendinopathy of the of the muscle and tendon tibialis posterior subluxation and dislocation a rupture of the tibialis posterior and shin splints and i've seen pretty much all of these and you treat them all just a little bit different but there are some treatments that you can do that can be helpful for all of them okay so um, you can't go wrong with some of the treatments even if you're not quite sure which one it is but let's kind of break them down a little bit so that you can have an idea how to tease them out when you're doing your clinical exam in the office 
So first of all, let's start with rupture because in my opinion, identifying a rupture is, is really the easiest one, okay? Patient comes in, they say, I felt this pop on the inside of my foot, I was changing direction really quickly, or they slipped on something and fell. Um, and these are more common in, in older people, uh, 60 or older, especially with a quick change in direction. Um, one of the things you'll notice is that foot is going to be really pronated and they'll have difficulty doing um, a heel raise or a heel raise test. And some people will not be able to plant our flex while standing on one leg at all. Um, but again, remember, there are six other muscles that help to plant our flex of foot. So those others can take over and still plant our flex of foot. What you're looking for when you're looking from behind is you're looking to see if they can hold that calcaneus in inversion. And if it falls out into eversion while they're plantar flexing, that's a good sign that they've ruptured that tendon. Um, these people will actually have a little less pain than those with tendonitis and tendinopathy because that tendon is completely disrupted and therefore it's not pulling on any more, you know, partially torn fibers and they won't be quite as painful. Uh, so you'll notice that they're also going to be very, very weak and almost like a neurological weakness when you test plantar flexion and inversion at the same time. So these are pretty dramatic, um, and uh, you know, depending on the age of the patient, not all of them need to be repaired, but when you identify this in the office, it definitely warrants a trip to the orthopedic uh, surgeon's office to have uh, their evaluation, get an MRI, and any other diagnostic testing, uh, such as diagnostic ultrasound, to uh, identify you know, if it is torn and the severity of it. And um, there are a lot of people out there who, if they don't have a lot of pain, and they don't have a significant loss of function, um, may do well the rest of their lives with just like a high top boot uh, and an orthotic and uh, function quite well with that. So not everybody has to have surgery, but they definitely need to be seen by a surgeon to make that decision. Now, the next one is a subluxation and dislocation. Now, the tibialis posterior tendon does not dislocate and sublux as much as the peroneals do, um, but I have seen this and uh, it's uh, it's it's pretty dramatic and and it's it's pretty easy to identify. Patient will complain of pain at the medial aspect of the foot and ankle. You'll see this more in athletes, and um, you offer resistance to plantar flexion and inversion. What happens is that tibialis posterior tendon will flip up over the medial malleolus and sometimes pop right back into place. Now it's important that you assess the other ankle also to see if it does the same thing because a lot of people will have that tendon pop right up to the top of that medial malleolus but not fall out of place and be very functional and non-painful. That is just the nature of how they are made and put together. So um, you want to check this on both sides and compare one to the other. But a true dislocation of that tendon will pop right up over that medial malleolus, kind of stay in place and then you have to reposition that foot and ankle to uh, have it pop back in and that's usually a sign that there's a complete disruption of the flexor retinaculum. Those folks also should be uh, seen by an orthopedic surgeon and uh, we'll talk a little bit about treating uh, these things uh, in just a little bit. Now here's the most common problem we see with the uh, posterior tibialis uh, muscle and tendon is people who develop tendonitis and tendinopathy. Okay, so tendonitis, remember, is that early inflammatory stage that happens when there is, uh, you know, repetitive use. Somebody's, uh, you know, increased their mileage running or they've run on a cambered road and that tendon is just taking a beating. And don't forget, the 
posterior tibialis tendon has a tenosynovial sheet over it, which can become easily inflamed and is quite a pain generator. And that can take up some space and, and cause some swelling in that medial aspect of the ankle. So it doesn't go through the tunnel very well. And with all those other structures we talked about a while ago, um, things just get congested in there and can be quite painful. These people are going to be very tender near the uh, medial malleolus just posterior to the medial malleolus and they will have pain with resisted plantar flexion and inversion usually pain between the uh, malleolus and the navicular area will be the most common areas of discomfort they'll have a lot of pain to walk they may change the way they walk they may start to walk a little bit on the lateral side of the foot just to not let the foot pronate anymore You'll see these people, this is extremely common by the way with all of the above that I've already talked about. Um, people will have a tight calf muscle and as a result of having a tight calf muscle, they externally rotate the hips a little bit and therefore the feet toe out so they don't have to dorsiflex as much. But guess what happens? When you distribute your pressure through that medial arch and you collapse the medial arch, you are now making that tendon, which acts like a cable, you're putting that on tension and that tibialis posterior muscle is working eccentrically really, really hard. So it's going around a curve and it's pulling like a pulley really hard, getting inflamed and irritated. So these folks will typically have a retroverted type of foot posture and uh, you'll notice that uh, they, they have very tight calves for the most part and they don't dorsiflex very well. So that's quite common with tendonitis and tendinopathy. Now let's talk a little bit about shin splints. Um, you know, there are many reasons why people develop a, a quote unquote shin splint and one of them could be tibialis posterior tendonitis, but more on the origin uh, side of this than the uh, insertion side of this. So again, like we just explained, when that foot is pronating a lot uh, and repetitively and you're putting your body weight through that and maybe the knee is going into genuvalgus a little bit, you're distributing a lot of pressure there, that muscle has to work eccentrically and can give you a lot of discomfort on the lateral ridge of the tibia where they often will be tender with a shin splint. And oftentimes you can correct this by just putting them into uh, you know better shoes and uh, supporting the arch. But we'll talk about the treatment here in just a bit. So in regards to treating the tendonitis, it's important that you get that inflammation settled down and that you relatively rest this. If somebody is severely inflamed, you need to get that settled down. You need to stop the ankle from dorsiflexing and plantar flexing too repetitively. And sometimes they may just be able to modify it by, by you know, ceasing the running. Or they may need a walker boot sometimes just to rest that a little bit so it's not overworking. Now, if they develop a tendinopathy, well, now there is no more active inflammatory issue going on here. So we need to start loading that tendon a little bit. But nonetheless, you want us to be supporting the medial arch so that tendon isn't working so hard. And there's a couple ways I like to do this with any of the above. Okay, I like to use like a coflex wrap and what I do is I wrap the foot, I start with the, the distal part of the foot and I wrap from lateral to medial, I come around the bottom of the foot and then I pull up on the medial arch to support that medial arch and I'll do it like a figure eight around the ankle and continue to support the heel into inversion and I support the arch so that it stays up and doesn't isn't allowed to uh, drop as much. Just doing this alone and having the patient walk can be very diagnostic because you know, oftentimes they like that compression to help decrease the swelling but they like that feeling of support so the tendon isn't working so hard. Um, so I co-flex a lot of people at first 
first just to try to help see if it makes a difference. If it makes a difference, then I get a little more aggressive and I might get into a temporary orthotic, something that has a nice medial arch and something that stabilizes the heel to a custom orthotic where I can really do a good job at supporting the medial arch and stabilizing the heel and something that will last them a, a lot longer and it's custom to them and uh, and so that can make a huge difference. The other thing I like to use, the other brace I like to use for uh, tendonitis or tendinopathy of the tibialis posterior is a lace-up brace and not just a lace-up brace but one that has the figure eight straps on it so what I do with these people is I lace it up get it on nice and snug and then when I do the figure eight strapping I take the medial side and I pull that up just a little bit harder up in the medial arch and that supports that arch quite a bit and that tendon doesn't have to work so hard eccentrically again and we really have good success with this in treating acute tendonitis or tendinopathy and uh, so that allows them to walk a little bit better and not have so much discomfort so there's not that constant irritation you can even use this type of brace and all of the above techniques with people who have dislocations uh, of the tendon and subluxations of the tendon so any of those folks who have dislocation, subluxation, or ruptures really should be seen by uh, the folks in orthopedics. But depending on the age and how much functional uh, inability they have, you may be able to modify it with you know, an orthotic and a high top shoe. It's very common to, ref to refer people for a high top shoe that helps to stabilize that medial aspect of the ankle. As far as shin splints go, um, again, I like to do all of the above. I like to rest them a little bit from the activities that are causing the shin splint. Usually we see this more in runners. Um, people who run against traffic on a cambered road, that right leg will always be the more troublesome leg because that foot wants to collapse into pronation even more. The knee goes into valgus and that posterior tibialis tendon is working so hard to support the medial arch. So if they are uh, insistent on, on continuing to run, I tell them run on a, uh, a level track but go in the opposite direction so that they are um, supinating the foot more. So they would go counterclockwise if it's a right foot, they would go clockwise if it's a left foot. And uh, that can take some pressure off of that, uh, that tendon. So let's talk about re-strengthening. I mean, obviously we can do all these things to decrease inflammation, like give non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, rest them, and um, do modalities such as iontophoresis or things of that sort to help decrease that inflammation. But ultimately, this tendon needs to be stronger. It needs to be able to support the ankle. It's a huge ankle stabilizer, and it really helps with uh, propelling us forward, but also helps to kind of like slow us down when we are going downstairs and we are on the loading leg. Um, so I like to start these folks on a you know, a gentle program. We'll do our modalities and whatnot to get them, you know, settled down and bring blood flow to the area and whatnot. But I like to start with things like toe curls. I like to do some stationary cycling because you can put the pedal right in the center part of the foot and not have a lot of plantar flexion to irritate that area so we can bring some blood flow to the leg. Um, I also like to start with some light isometric and even uh, concentric exercises for the tibialis posterior. And I do actually have a couple videos which I will be putting in the show notes today so you can check that out and I also have a, a video of somebody with a tibialis posterior rupture which you can take a look at so you can see the real deal on a real patient with a real problem. I then slowly start to work on uh, re-strengthening into plantar flexion. I might start with soleus presses and uh, very progressive plantar flexion strengthening exercises. I like to also use a shuttle cardiomuscular trainer because we can start with some light weight 
and then um, some more active proprioceptive type activities. So I start them with a nice stable base, work onto a less stable base, and uh, start to you know maybe have them do some ball tosses or different activities with their arms to help make that a little bit uh, more challenging. Ultimately, I get into a higher level loading program, and if they have a tendinopathy, we might have them do some plantar flexion with a little element of inversion uh, at about you know. 45 degrees of plantar flexion and hold that for 45 seconds um, times five with a two minute rest in between. People do really well with that with tendinopathy issues of the lower extremity. Uh, and then ultimately we get them back into return to work activities or functional sport activities. Hopefully, you know, that tendon will hold well. And if they need a little extra support uh, for a while, we might brace them or tape them just to uh, give them that extra support. So that is our show today on tibialis posterior muscle and um, I hope you enjoyed the show thanks for listening uh, a lot of people have been asking us about blood flow restriction therapy so I happen to have two episodes coming up uh, we did it in two episodes because there's so much information about it but I'm excited about this uh, we have a great guest speaker Susie Lachowski who will be talking about the physiology behind it and uh, ultimately from from physiology to function and how we utilize it in the clinic and how helpful it can be don't forget to check out the links in our show notes we have the links to our YouTube channel and uh, we also have the videos in the show notes relating to today's podcast and don't forget to sign up on our website and uh, subscribe that way you'll get all of the up-to-date information in regarding uh, ortho eval pal and please if you have the time please jump over to apple Podcasts or whatever station holds your podcasts uh, on and uh, give us a rating and review we'd really appreciate that helps with our ranking in the world of podcasts so again thank you so much for listening stay safe and take care we hope you've enjoyed the show for some more awesome content go to orthoevalpal.com can't wait to see you there.